Hey, Forge family. Last week, we engaged with the introduction of Paul's letter to the Colossian church. Epaphras is believed to have planted the churches in Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis, set in the valley of the Lycus River. These cities had a great history, and at one time great prosperity as they sat on the trade route that runs from the port city of Ephesus on the Mediterranean, 700 miles east to the Euphrates River. Colossae was noted for its wool production and deep red wool cloth. <clears throat> Colossae and all of Asia Minor heard the good news of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, in the two years that Paul taught and equipped brothers and sisters in the, at the school of Tyrannus in the city of Ephesus. Epaphras has now come a thousand miles by ship to deliver the news of the Colossian church to Paul, who's under house arrest in Rome. The gathering of followers of Jesus in Colossae are under pressure from some syncretist, spiritist teachings that essentially say, quote, Jesus is not enough, unquote. Paul and Timothy craft a letter to the Colossian church, blessing them and acknowledging their ready faith, and then Paul launches into teaching them about the unequaled Christ. <clears throat> As I mentioned last week, we too are all surrounded by, by a varied mix of teachings and practices that would dismiss Jesus as inadequate. Let's seize the scriptures and take it to heart and practice that so that Christ alone is Lord. All right, family, let's pray. Dearest Jesus, you are all you and the scriptures say you are. You stand far above all creation, yet fully interact with us as our Savior and intercessor seated at the right hand of the Father. Come, Lord, lead us to be your fiery servants, confident in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge, gather up your Bibles and notebooks, cup of tea, and let's begin in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul is writing from Rome and greets the Colossian brothers and sisters in the same words as his greeting to the church in Ephesus. But he adds Timothy as a sender as well. Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He owes his appointment as a sent out one, if you will, as an ambassador, as a spokesman for Christ, not due to his own aspirations or his own desires to lead. He was not nominated for apostle by men, but chosen by God, who prepared Paul to be the carrier of the good news to the Gentiles through the will of God. Timothy is being raised up and equipped to shepherd churches, but finds himself in a team that surrounds Paul while he is in Rome. Timothy may have been the secretary, the amanuensis, that wrote out Paul's words to send on to Colossae. Verse 2, we see that um, here, the recipients of this letter are called saints, holy ones. Acts chapter 9, verse 13 says that saints are, are true believers. Second, the Colossians are called faithful. 
which means trustworthy, steadfast, unswerving. Now, these believers have been set apart to glorify God. They are consecrated ones, tasked to proclaim the excellence of Christ. And so are we. See, to call them faithful is to remind them to be faithful. Faith is not just a subjective experience. It rather points to the power of their salvation. Knowing this letter will be read in, the, in Colossae and Laodicea and Hierapolis. Paul focuses on the words grace and peace. Now, Obviously, grace speaks of spontaneous, unmerited favor, revealing God's loving kindness in operation. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about grace. Grace is the fountain, the spring, the source. It is that particular place in the mountain from which the mighty river you see rolling into the sea starts its race. Without it, there would be nothing. Grace is the origin and source and fount of everything in the Christian life. But what does the Christian life mean when it is not when it is meant what is it what is it meant to produce? The answer is peace. So there we have the source and there the estuary leading to the sea, the beginning and the end, the initiation and the purpose for which all is meant and designed. Kent Hughes lays that out that when Paul says grace to you, it is a commissioning to live life under grace. Quote, may you be like a great taker. May you have the disposition, the dependency, the humility that makes you a ready receptor of God's grace. And living in God's grace results in peace, just like Martin Lloyd-Jones said, that that reconciliation through God with God, through the blood of the cross, produces spiritual wholeness and spiritual prosperity flowing from God our Father. One of the tragedies and gospel challenges today are the multitudes who seek personal peace apart from God's enabling grace. Paul says flatly that all this grace and peace happens because the Colossians and ourselves are in Christ. That means they partook of all that Christ had done, is doing, and will do, and all that he will be. That is a wonder of wonders for us, too. <clears throat> Verse 3, Paul states, he and Timothy's, and indeed the whole team in Rome that's surrounding Paul, they are thanks to God. For the Colossian brothers and sisters, they're family together. And then Paul uses the phrase, Lord Jesus Christ, into the teeth of a growing Caesar divinity cult across the empire, which would say, Caesar is Lord. See, that, that phrase, Lord Jesus Christ, was used by Peter on Pentecost Sabbath. Sunday, excuse me, first day of the week, Pentecost. Okay, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. He introduced Jesus, risen Messiah, to the Pentecost crowd, drawn to the streets of Jerusalem by those speaking in many languages. 
And he introduces him as the Lord Jesus Christ, whom they had crucified. In the grammar here in verse 3, it seems that the word always is emphatically pointed to God the Father in thanksgiving. That thanksgiving pours out to the Colossians whenever Paul and his team pray for their family in Christ in Colossae. Verse 4, in the following two verses, Colossian faith, love, and hope are noted. Eleven times in the New Testament, this combination, faith, love, and hope, or faith, hope, and love, or, you know, it's a combination. It's in, in somewhat interchangeable. <clears throat> and it's identified in 11 other places, and it is an arrow that points to genuine Christian identity and lifestyle, all of which flows from Christ. First mention here goes to faith. Faith is not just a belief. It means to lean your whole being, your needs, your emotions, your abundance, your love. You lean it all. You, you lean it all upon Christ. <clears throat> The faith of the Colossians is worth celebrating. Some today exhort one another to say, Oh, sister, you just need to have more faith. But that has about as much power as adding another bauble to your charm bracelet to wear about. Faith is not an experience or a possession. Rather, it is a choice that is amplified, undergirded, and grown in our hearts by Holy Spirit. Next, Paul points out, that the love that the Colossian believers have is, has been expressed to all the saints. Kent Hughes has this to say about that love. <clears throat> Paul then continues to love the Colossians for the love they had for all the saints. For Paul, faith proved its reality by working through love. Loving God is seen in how one loves his neighbor, and particularly another believer. Now, we've all met people who claim to be good Christians, who were upstanding, honest, and orthodox, but unloving. They had a loveless goodness, an orthodoxy without charity, a questionable faith. They are the kind of people Mark Twain had in mind when he said, quote, he's a good man in the worst sort of way, unquote. Love for the brethren is a sign of true faith. <clears throat> when Chuck Colson was serving his prison sentence after the Watergate scandal, his newfound faith was severely tested. His wife did not understand that, quote, born-again stuff, unquote. His son was picked up on drug use, and Colson himself was despondent. He was in the dumps. But God met him in his misery. A group of Christians in Washington, including Senators Hatfield, Hughes, and Quee, were praying for him. Senator Quee discovered an old law that allowed an innocent man to serve a prison term for another. And Quee, Senator Quee, volunteered to serve the remainder of Colson's term. Colson turned him down, but he had experienced love for all the saints. Now, we have to admit, 
that not all our brothers and sisters are easy to love, to agape, to pour out God's love for them and on them. But here, that is what the Colossians were known for. And we aspire to be that for all the believers. Verse 5 gives us the reason why the Colossians were faith-filled lovers of all the brethren. It was as a result. It was on account of their hope. Here, Paul says, faith and love flowed from hope. Hope is the source. Hope is not a sentiment of optimism. It's not subjective. It's rather rooted to the promises of God, which gives grounds for confidence in God's continuous acts in history. Hope looks outward. It is focused on the future. It is a fervent yearning, a confident expectation, a patient waiting. It is a fully Christ-centered assurance of kept promises. Paul says, this hope of the Colossians is laid up. It's stored away in reserve. It's saved for them in the heavens. Hope is not anchored to experiences or angelic encounters. It's not, in, it's not based on higher knowledge or some ascent into the heavenlies. Those are not necessary because God has already anchored your hope. This anchored hope has been already spoken over the Colossians. See, it arrived in the word of truth, which is the gospel. The good news of God's plan for all men to come to be reconciled to him through Christ Jesus. That statement, the word of truth, which is the gospel, paves the way for Paul's coming teaching of Christ's sufficiency versus the cult teachings swirling around Colossae. In verse 6, that word of truth had come to Colossae, just as it is, and it is still, coming to all the world. It is constantly bearing fruit and constantly increasing. Early church fathers and a church historian say this. Justin Martyr, about the middle of the second century, wrote, There is no people, Greek or barbarian, or of any other race, by whatever appellation or manners they may be distinguished, however ignorant of arts or agriculture, whether they dwell in tents or wander about in covered wagons, among whom prayers and thanksgivings are not offered in the name of the crucified Jesus to the Father and Creator of all things. Half a century later, Tertullian added, we are but of yesterday, yet we have left you, excuse me, yet we, let me start again, we are but of yesterday, yet we already fill your cities, islands, camps, your palace, senate, and forum. We have left you your only, we have left you only your temples. And then R.H. Glover says, quote, on the basis of all the data available, it has been estimated that by the close of the apostolic period, okay, that, that apostolic period ended when John the Apostle, at the age of 90, passes away, goes into the arms of Jesus on the Isle of Patmos. Okay, so the end of the apostolic era, era finishes with John, 90 AD. Okay, 
And at the close of the apostolic period, the total number of Christian disciples had reached half a million. Already, the rise of those followers of the way were present and growing exponentially inside the Roman Empire. We read Acts chapter 19, verse 20. It says this, following Paul's works of power and miracles in Ephesus. It says in verse 20, So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Everywhere people could look, the word of the Lord was bearing fruit and growing exponentially. The good news came to Colossae, brought by Epaphras and Philemon, and the Colossians heard, and the sense of the text is, at once, at once they understood. Immediately they understood the grace of God in truth. Here's Paul's second use of the word truth. Just because there were cults and mystery religions surrounding them in Phrygia, the little town of Colossae, they didn't stop bearing fruit and multiplying. See, they were known among the believers in Christ. And all this started and continues by the labors of Epaphras in their midst, led by Holy Spirit. Paul speaks of him as loved, as a fellow bondservant of Christ and faithful servant on behalf of Paul. It was by the mouth of Epaphras that Paul and his team in Rome heard of the Colossian love, which flows from the Holy Spirit. An agape love they have for Paul the Apostle. Epaphras, coming to Paul in Rome, shows that Paul is the Apostle, over the churches in the Lycus Valley. Paul gives his stamp of approval on Epaphras and his leadership. All right, Ford's family. Verse 6 spoke of the word of truth, producing fruitfulness and increase. And that set of phrases is true of you. It's true of Forge. Fruitfulness is seen rising in families as they bow the knee to Jesus. And we see it rise in the next generation who too bow their knees to Jesus. And our focus of increased influence is evident in our midst. So press in to being his family and lay hold of that hope in God's promises that produces faith and love by Holy Spirit. Lastly, Here's some questions. Where are we engaged in the sharing of the gospel to the lost, the needy, and the broken? Well, yes, we live that out in front of them, but where are we speaking, writing, and demonstrating to the world around us that we have hope that leads to faith and love? Now, hear me now. This is not a guilt trip. I'm working personally on the same set of exhortations here, but... If righteousness, peace, and joy are being produced by Holy Spirit and experienced and practiced in our midst, we will become verbal proclaimers of the life within us. And we want to do that together at Forge. All right, family, let's pray. 
Lord Jesus Christ, your blood binds us and makes of us a family. Together, we long for more of you. Your presence and your promises keep pouring in your grace, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge, I love you. We'll see you soon. God bless.